Hey everyone, welcome back to the Sacred Space Podcast. My name is Gina Stockton, and I just want to welcome you. Today I have a special guest, Melissa Shimento. Melissa is an amazing woman of God who has a tremendous story, incredible testimony of how God met her in the middle of loss, in the middle of grief, how she learned to process the things that she was feeling, and how God brought healing and redemption. And through that, the Lord is using Melissa now to bring hope and healing and His presence to other people. She's such a beautiful example of how sons and daughters yielded to the love of God become a conduit of healing and His presence, His kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this conversation in the sacred space. Hi, Melissa. Thank you so much for being here. I'm really excited to have a conversation with you. Um, Thank you for having me. Yeah. Yeah. So you and I have a mutual friend, my uh, mentor, uh, spiritual dad, friend, all of the things Bruce Smith uh, introduced us over text. He's like, you guys had to have a conversation and you and I uh, got to chat uh, over zoom a few months ago. And uh, I just loved getting to know you and hearing your story. And so I thought, Hey, why don't you come on sacred space? Let's have a conversation. I would love people to hear your story. So yeah. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Start wherever you want. Start in the very beginning. No, you don't have to, but um, yeah, just introduce yourself to the world. <laughs> okay. Hi there, Gina. Thank you so much. Well, I'm Melissa Shimento and um, starting at the beginning, I pro- I'll start with probably what's where my, my current status is been married almost 35 years to my husband, Chuck, mm-hmm. and I have three um, young adults, um, two boys and a girl. So that gives you a little bit thumbnail of a little bit of my family. And I do remember our conversation a few months ago, and I kind of thought we were chatting about one thing, but then you said, so tell me about yourself. And I was like, Oh, me. <laughs> <laughs> and so I love how you flipped that. And uh, what was so beautiful is just what came out as I just shared about really the most impactful things in my life, which is true for a lot of people, their early childhood yeah. and, um, um, mother and father, um, by the grace of God, tremendous privilege that I'm able to say this, um, is that they were, they were godly and they loved God and they loved each other. Um, and that was fabulous. And we saw, um, you know, the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God and the power of God. And, um, that was really stamped in me really young. So that would probably, I think I answered you last time, like, here's one of my greatest strengths is that the Lord graced me with knowing his goodness mm-hmm. and knowing his character. And it's one of the most important things you need to know is really who God is yeah. and to get it at such a young age for the battles ahead, for the things that don't make sense, for the yeah. things that do not turn out the way you think. So, um, for the stories and chapters in our lives that did not end the way we wanted it to, <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, good. I think it's a, a critically a great beginning. So I had that great beginning of God being awesome. And I had the blessing of having 
a father that did not put obstacles in my way for believing that God was good and he Mm. was a good father. And Mm, for that, it almost makes me want to cry because I just got back from Mexico on our first missions trip with my husband and I, and we um, were with a lot of children who were rescued and they did not have that beginning. They did not have the beginning of a mom and dad who loved God and loved each other. And um, they were rescued from sex trafficking. And it's a great story of redemption and hope. Um, And there were 46 of them, but I know there's, they represent thousands. So when I say that, I also carry the burden of um, tremendous gratitude. But when I was six, um, my mom at 39 years old was diagnosed with cancer, breast cancer, Mm -hmm. and she had a mastectomy. And you have to think this was a long time ago. And, um, and the treatments they use and the things they do with chemotherapy and radiation back then um, are different than now. Now they can do laser and specific and yeah. which is awesome. Almost a little bit like how Bill Johnson must be feeling, right? Yeah. He has hosted this church with signs, wonders, miracles, humility, love for God, word of God, worship. I mean, I don't pretend to know them intimately from, but from what I've witnessed and the fruit I've seen, um, tremendous heritage of the, you know, really stepping out in faith and believing yeah. God to be who he is and seeing that. Yeah. And then yet not his life. Yeah. So similar, my mom and, uh, diagnosed with cancer from, and pretty much what the enemy said to me was sick, diseased and dying from six until you're 17. She was an irreversible coma until you're 19. She died. Wow. And so that's a lot of my childhood Hmm. along with a contending, believing faith filled church praying. Yeah. Um, it didn't turn out the way they thought they were devastated. They had whatever capacity they had. So another lie, (laughs) which is part of my story was the Lord showing me how the enemy had mingled in lies and rehearsed the past, the word of God and the characters in the old Testament really brought healing and perspective to me. You know, um, like for instance, I'm thinking of Elijah that really brought me a lot of hope. Elijah was in a place where he had, we would say like an incredible ministry day, right? He calls fire down from heaven, ends a three-year drought, kills 450 evil prophets, um, then ends up hiding in a cave, despairing, saying, I'm the only one left. Yeah. Self-pity enters his heart. And that's really my story is I think there were elements of self-pity entering my heart. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm alone left. I'm just, I'm no better than anybody else. I'm just like my father says Elijah. And, um, and actually that wasn't true. And he mm-hmm. kept on rehearsing that you'll see maybe two or three times. I think it's first Kings 18, 19, where Elijah, um, said I alone and left. I'm doing it all right. It's not working. They've forsaken you. I've done all these awesome things. It's not working out. Um, and he repeats it two or three times and yeah. ends up in a cave. God calls it to him. And in a way I was in a cave, didn't know it, but it's like, mm-hmm. if God can get you in a dialogue, he can heal your heart. Mm, it's he good. Can get you just like, wow, I'll meet you at the mouth of the cave. But Elijah still had to get up off his feet <laughs> right? I'm assuming he had to get up off his feet and yeah. come to the entrance of the cave. And Jesus met him there. Yeah. It's so and good. 
and Jesus met me there and got me in a dialogue. And it was really the, the word of God, really my, my most transformative with my story would be my parents, um, the word of God and the Holy spirit. That is really what has impacted my life the most and really equipped me the most. And so I, I would say part of my story is an extremely practical faith. <laughs> like it's like, okay, so now what are the four steps? Just, I mean, and also probably <laughs> my reluctance, like a lot of humanity, um, the feeling of pain is just so bad. You're like, what can I do to make this go away? Yeah. And so I find the steps of how to make that go away or how to heal it with Elijah Jesus calls him into, you know, conversation, he heals him. And, you know, are there some truths to Elijah's story? Did they forsake God? Yes. Were they abandoning him? Yes. Were they persecuting him? Yes. But was he the only one? No, 7,000 that had not bowed the knee. And so part of my story in the middle of my mom being sick, diseased and dying was the, I alone am left. Nobody gets me. No one's reaching out. Self-pity had entered my heart, but ever so subtly. And that's why I have such a passion for people to grieve well, Mm -hmm. to grieve with the Lord. I'm thinking of the specific scriptures, Psalm 61, Psalm 73. Both of those were structurally, like I want some structure to help me heal. I want to be part of the victorious church. I want to be part of bearing fruit for the kingdom. I want to honor the father by bearing much fruit. And I can't do that if I'm stuck and high centered on a story rehearsing the past that has some lies mingled with some truth. I mean, so I kind of have this fight in me, like kind of pretty vigilant fighter on, I want my heart whole. Mm, It's good. So let's go back for a second. So, you know, diagnosed it's when you were six in a coma, Yeah. What's the timeline? Like, you know, when do those lies start setting in? When are you starting to lift your eyes? Like what is that timeline and what did that look like in that journey for you? And then what was it like for your parents? You know, it's like, that's a long time, you know, that's a long time to be carrying the weight of someone's health Mm -hmm. and someone on a journey of dying, you know, it's, that's a lot. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. So the timeline was I was six. She was 39, which is young. Yeah. And then I was set. So between six and 17, she was struggling. And then irreversible coma when I was 17 years old. Yeah. Um, When I, and then when I was 19 years old, she died. Wow. And so that is a real clear, I mean, that's just, that's the process in terms of when did the lies enter in? Well, I would say, you know, the enemy loves to prey on confusion, yeah, uh, doubt. I would say probably it was more when I was 15, 16, 17. I, I feel as if I did not carry the full burden and the weight. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like the Lord carried the burden, <laughs> not to sound too spiritual, but I feel as if he really loves and protects the children. Mm-hmm. And I believe that I didn't feel the full weight of it. Yeah. Um, out of his grace and mercy that he was sustaining me some way. Now, maybe my body captured it in some way, you know, that I don't realize, but I even saw that to flip to my mixed Mexican missions trip with the children that we were just with. They had so much joy 
um, so much redemption, so much delight. They were connecting so well with me and with everyone else. Um, it made me think Jesus really loves the children. Hmm. Like he's protecting them. So to give honor where honors due, I really think the faith of my parents really, really helped shield me. I mean, it was a shield around me when I was younger. So I would say more 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, all these other people are healing. (laughs) My mom's not healing. I feel like I was born so fit for heaven. Like heaven is going to suit me. Like when I get to heaven, (laughs) I'll be like, like, so everything else down here has been a a little disappointing. (laughs) I mean, I'm sorry. That sounds so ridiculous, but, um, so fit for heaven. Like, I really feel like I'll be at heaven and I'll be like, now this is beyond beautiful, adventurous, (laughs) you know, interesting, fantastic. I feel good. Everything smells good. Everything sounds good. And I'll feel like that is just about right. So everything that's not heaven, like my mom being sick, it's just, it's like fingernails on a chalkboard of your, on your soul. It's just so wrong. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And so I was grappling with that. I would say 15, Um, the sovereignty of God, how come some are healed, some aren't um, suffering, but you still believe for healing. I mean, I was a lot of times probably lost and then sometimes in the word. And I remember running across scriptures, like in Hebrews 11, I remember being a kid right after my mom had died and reading all the hall of faith, all the men by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. And then all the people that did not receive what was promised. And then it's saying, and the world was not worthy of them and how much that ministered to my spirit. Part of my struggle was not her. She's yeah. godly. <laughs> right. Right. She's most, she's most known by her, by her love and her graciousness. I mean, like, yeah. Pick on someone wicked. <laughs> yeah. Oh, right. Just, oh, just God. And if right. you need me to point you to some wicked people, I have their name and phone number. <laughs> right. Yeah. Isn't that true? I mean, you know, it's so interesting we're made for eternity. And obviously there's so much we won't know till we're face to face with Jesus, but, um, more and more, I am struck by how temporal this life is and the things that we hold as everything, but in, in, in the light of eternity, it's such a small, small piece. And, we know we have a God who can heal. We know we have a God who can do all of the things that he said he would. We see it and wrestling with that. This one gets healed. This one doesn't. I did an interview a couple of seasons ago with a friend of mine, Christine Burke, who is a walking miracle, had a glioblastoma, which is a brain tumor. It's like 80 per 90%, you know, fatality rate. you know, within a year of being diagnosed. And when I interviewed her, she was diagnosed four or five years ago. I mean, she shouldn't be alive. So she's sitting here, this testament of God's healing. And yet she's got a circle of friends. She started this cancer support group and of other friends who had cancer, most of them with a less lethal cancer. And most of them at the time of that interview had passed. And so here she's grappling with her wow. being the survivor, right. And that survivor's guilt and wow. trusting the Lord that why am I here? Why are they not, you know, how to 
surrender in utter dependence on the goodness of God, uh, that he is faithful, that he is good, that he finishes what he starts, and that healing and wholeness uh, encompasses so much more than this life on this earth. And the reality is your mom is he- fully healed and whole right now, right? Um, as is mine. That's another story for another time. But yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. But to be a teenager, you know, going through puberty, going through all the hormonal stuff, I mean, what a hard age in life in general. And then, you know, you're there, you know, at the, you know, sitting in front of your Bible going, are you there? (laughs) Is this true? Why, you know, just wrestling through all those things. So that's pretty significant. Yeah. And when you say looking at the Bible, are you there? I remember Psalms 91 being a scripture that was read and we would read laying on my mom's bed after her death. I would see that scripture and I would just have this visceral response. Like my body Mm. was like almost rejecting, like, I can't read that scripture because that scripture promised these things. And that didn't happen. My judgment on that scripture laid over my mom's life was wrong actually, because that scripture talks about no pestilence will come near your tent. You know, and I, I love it because my son's a captain in the air force and he's spec ops. And so he does crazy wild stuff. It's a great passage of scripture for, for the military and for anyone, all of us. But the truth of that scripture, now that I see, which I would just encourage everyone listening, if there's something that is confusing about the word of God or the way you feel like the Lord is, you're experiencing the Lord, ask just for greater revelation, like to back up and really see, because I read that like, Hey, you promised a perfect life and that's awful because perfectionism and idealism is actually pride. Instead, it's actually, he said, I'd rescue you (laughs) when you're in trouble, you know, I'd be there. So basically he talked about trials, tribulations, trouble and rescue. Well, you don't need any of that unless you're in trouble, (laughs) right? Right. (laughs) Need rescue. So I just say that to say, you know, you're right. So the, the, there was a time where the word of God was almost painful to me. The pursuit of wholeness and healing and miracles and all that stuff, which is good, but it, it can go to the point of there's no permission to grieve. There's no permission for loss. There's no permission for sadness. Even there's no, you know what I mean? And that's such a disservice to us because I mean, Jesus grieved, right? Um, uh, Jesus suffered. He says that we're going to suffer and he promises to be with us, but there is something about the process of grief with Jesus, the process of grief in God's presence, that is a significant piece of the journey to healing and wholeness. And if we don't allow ourselves that space and trust that God is the safest place to greet, take our grief, then we're actually kind of blocking ourselves from we're, we're the very thing we're, we're building to protect ourselves is the thing that's keeping us from freedom and healing. I totally agree. I feel as if we have truncated ourselves and not talking about emotions, um, honoring them well, and yeah. really ineffectively not loving ourselves well. So sad, angry, hurtful, confused, um, doubting, 
if we're scared of those words and those emotions, we're not going to be whole. Yeah. There's not going to be a wellspring of life. So how can I guard my heart with all diligence for from it flow, the springs of life. Mm -hmm. If I don't express those things in the presence of the Lord and get healing from the Lord. And so I absolutely agree. I'm just reiterating what you said. And I believe that there's, you know, it's a new day. It's new things where we're going to, we're going to be honest and truthful and authentic with our true selves and our true stories in that we get free and in that others get free Yeah, and to heal, (laughs) we really want to be able to go to where we can be truthful, authentic, real, where we can hear the truth. So there's this um, passage of scripture and it's where blind man, beggar, you know, son of David, have mercy on me, have mercy on me. And Jesus is basically turns around and says, you know, what do you want me to do? Do you want to see clearly? (laughs) Do you want to see? And I think a lot of times to put it towards where I was stuck in rehearsing my past and believing some lies, you're alone, you're missing out. You know, those are the two main things. The Lord was like, do you want to see clearly? Do you want truth in your innermost being? Yeah. Because the truth will set you free. And so when that process did happen, and I can share with you what I've done in terms of processing, you know, then I was able to have healing, but also, you know, if one of our goals is that we believe that God is going to bless authentic family and authentic community, if I'm not authentic with myself, how can I add anything to you? So I think I agree being, being real with your pain, um, telling your truth story, but not get being stuck. Right. And that, that's, you know, that can be a fine line because it's easy for that to become our identity, like our trauma to become our identity rather than a testimony of redemption. And I like what you were saying of like, do you want to see, like, do you want to see clearly? And part of that seeing is seeing the redemptive work of God in the midst of brokenness and pain, right? That all things do work together for our good and for his glory, but that's not a a slogan. That's not a cheap little verse that we find in Hobby Lobby and put on our wall. It's a hard verse. It's a verse that we can actually hurt people with if we use it in the wrong time. But when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and then you see God's redemption on the other side, it changes you. Like it reorients your faith. It shifts your perspective and your understanding of God's love. And it seats you differently when you can see it and receive it when you can be honest with all that you have and you can bring it to his feet and then allow him to bring the beauty out of the ashes and bring oil of joy for mourning and a garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness and all those things. So you said um, you had a process for that. What was that process? Before I give you that process and I I want to, I just, I feel, let me ask, ask you, Don't you think though, we're not going to go to God if we don't know that he's deeply moved by compassion. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. I, you know, that that's the, probably the biggest, I think, um, lie that the church, big C sons and daughters believe when you don't believe that God is good, you don't believe he's a safe place. And, and honestly, you can go back to like, if you look at like David and Saul. 
you know, David is called a man after God's own heart. Saul fell on his sword and killed himself. Um, but these two men were both chosen, anointed, called by God. Uh, they knew his word. They had relationship with him. They both had the Holy Spirit. But what is the difference when David messed up? He knew the character of the father and knew he was the safest place to go. And to, that repentance was a kind invitation back to restoration. Saul didn't know that, believe that. So when he fell he isolated, he pulled away, he got more distant and um, all those lies rooted, right? So there's that difference, that understanding of the love of the father and this misunderstanding of the love of the father. So absolutely. So if we know Jesus has a heart of compassion towards the weary, the yeah. wanderer, yeah, <laughs> you know, the helpless we have a high priest who sympathizes and have compassion with us. Then um, what I do is I just, I'll choose one issue. And so I kind of have this thing that I say, I say, don't stuff it, grieve it. And really any strong emotion. A lot of times what I find um, when I'm speaking with people and getting to know their life and their story, you know, sometimes they'll say, I've tried to forgive and forgive and forgive. And it just, oh my gosh, it's not working. And, I, and I'll just say, have you ever been healed of that pain? Yeah, that's good. And um, generally tears follow because they've actually never been healed of that pain. They've never actually grieved what was lost. Yeah, what that's, was good. Wrong. that's and, good. And if Jesus can heal the pain, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And um, show you where he was and show the truth of who, who he was, um, And that is very personal, you know, just taking people and myself, I do it for myself to taking people through encounters. But basically what I do is I choose one issue and I'm not saying just grieve because part of my story as well that you don't know is that at the same time, my mom was dying. My father was bipolar. Wow. And he ended up in the depression ward suffering from delusions and depression on the 40th floor of city of faith in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, I lost my mom, my grandmother, my grandfather, and then my father was in a depression ward in six months. Wow. And I can't even remember where my older brothers were like to this day. I do know this path. So this is what I do. I don't try to minimize the pain. Okay. I pray a simple prayer and I just say, father, I give you permission to basically teach me how to grieve and Mm, take me through the grieving process. I just say, thank you that I know that you comfort those who mourn. Yeah, so I just good. start there. I choose one issue at a time and I just fully acknowledge my pain and suffering. And it, and I just communicate it to him just freely. And I journal it out because I have lots of scriptures yeah, right. <laughs> about write it down. It says, write it down, write it down. They journaled it out. And I write a letter, not to my friend, not to my husband, not to someone who has a worse life than me or whatever. I write a letter to God, mm. dear God. Yeah. This is how I feel. And this is how I wanted it to go. And this is what I thought was going to happen. And yeah. this happened and that happened. And then this didn't happen the way I thought. And if I had it all my way, yeah, it would have looked like this. My mom would have lived and been vibrant. And my dad would have stayed on his lithium and he would have 
been mentally stable and we would have done the kingdom of God stuff together. And I would have enjoyed my family and they would have been there when I got married and they would have been there when Sophia was born and Charlie was born and Davis was born. They would be there at the first birthdays. We would, I mean, like we're talking, talking, like write it out. Yeah. Yeah. And then what I do is I write down the ways I've tried to deal with the pain on my own. Hmm because it actually says he's going to wipe away every tear from your eyes. And there's no longer going to be mourning. Um, that's in revelations. I literally write down the ways I've tried to deal with it. I've tried to stuff it. I've tried to power through. I've tried to read the Bible out loud. I've tried to reach out to friends. That was painful. I overate. I tried to, you know, all the things I tried to do, I pretended like it was no big deal. I never talked about it. So I have lived in Oregon now, yeah, 31 on, and those people don't know anything about my childhood. Yeah. And I remember when one of my friends, very wise here said, I'm looking forward to the day that you actually talk about your childhood, not talking about it, not incorporating that story into who I am. Yeah, it's good. And then, then the last thing I do is, um, I write a letter to myself and I let him speak to me about how he wants me to take me through the process. So basically I'm continuing talking to God about my pain. I'm seeking his help until I receive his instruction. Yeah. And then when he speaks, I obey Mm -hmm. and you really have to be willing to follow through however he directs you. Yeah. And that's really it. I mean, it says many are the afflictions, right. Of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. And so I think not only something as intense of me having a godly woman that everyone would say, but these people should live, not die. (laughs) And a godly dad who was bipolar professor, theologian, pastor, well, well well-respected and loved and probably I'm his biggest fan. He walked in such humility. I loved, I loved him saying that some people might be listening and going, well, that's too hard, but for the people that have actually done it, they're shocked if they just fix their eyes on Jesus, yeah, quiet, quiet themselves down and do the most resisted activity on the planet, which is be, be still, you know, yeah. you, you, you're my sister you know, be still yeah, and actually believe that the Holy spirit is a river. If you've received faith in Christ, he is a river flowing out of you and honoring the flow of the Holy spirit and allowing the Holy spirit to do what only he can do. If you really believe that, then you can say, Holy spirit, right through me. What do you want to say to me? Yeah. And I do help people get out of the way. So the Holy spirit can see what he wants to say specifically to you. So that's, that's what I did. And so not only deep things, but also everyday things like, I need to use my grieving tool. Mm -hmm. So most recently unpacking from my mission trip to Mexico, I had a really, really rough day. And it was the first day we went to the children's home. I heard and saw things that were terrifying and horrifying to me. And I was deeply disturbed. I was so angry. I wanted to punch my hand through a wall um, and, or hurt somebody, anybody. Um, And which I know sounds funny, but I was a mess. 
And sure enough, with no Wi-Fi, I actually have my little godly grieving tool. It's scripture, but nothing hidden ministries is the place where I got that. If anyone mm-hmm. wants to go check it out, you can also yeah. get a app. And in Mexico, I was pulling it out going, Oh God, Oh God, Oh God, Oh God. I am so mad. <laughs> I am so yeah. Punch my head through a wall. I, you know, this is what happened. That is what happened. This is what not should have happened. If yeah. I had it all my way, it would have gone this way. And so, um, I, got turned right side up so quickly because the enemy wants to take us out Yeah, because I was supposed to minister to the kids with devotions the next morning. And I was supposed to minister a gentleman who his brother had hired a witch doctor to curse him and die. And so I ended up by the grace of God, being able to minister like the Lord said, he's forgiven him. Well, He's blessed him well, but he still has judgment on him. You need to help him judge not lest you be judged. So you need to actually have him help him remove the judgment he has against his brother Mm. and that, and we're going to pray for the neighboring village. And so I was, those two things happened the next day, but those two things would not happen because the enemy wants to stop at my will. He doesn't want me to find my voice. He doesn't want me to allow the Holy spirit to flow through me. He certainly doesn't want me to touch anybody in some Mexican village, um, you know, or minister to the children. So I got pierced with stuff that shouldn't happen. I'm just saying it works for everyday stuff that just happened and, um, and writing it out. And, you know, the Lord will tell me, he'll be like, I want you to stop. I want you to breathe and I want you to lean into me. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. There's a couple of things you, well, there's so much, but there's a few things that you hit on. I love, um, I love that. And it's so critical allowing yourself to grieve what was lost. And I think, um, you know, I went through that. My mom died. My mom wasn't a believer. Um, she was an alcoholic my whole life, bulimic, tragic, um, self-hatred and lost, um, in a lot of ways. Um, and, even when she was still alive, when I had a relationship with the Lord, even at that point, the Lord was pulling me to, you have to grieve what she's not able to be so that you can receive who she is and you can have compassion for her, you know? Um, And then when she died and, and then my father, you know, choosing to step in and acknowledge and grieve the loss of what isn't or what is lost or what couldn't be is such a significant piece of the grieving process. And, and I, I feel like it's almost like there's a shame for people to admit that they wanted something or would have loved to have had a mom who was present or who could, you know, not be passed out drunk on their fifth birthday party or who could be present or who didn't, you know, X, whatever the thing might be. Um, and that's such a significant thing. You also said at one point, actually earlier in the conversation, but I think it pertains to this is there's so much grace. Like, um, you're saying it's hard for people and, um, if the invitation is to come all the way over here and you can come this far, Jesus is going to meet you here. You know, he's, he's going to come to you. So you, so step as far as you can, because the kindness of the father and the love of Jesus is going to meet you there and go, you know what? I can work with that baby. Let's start here because healing it's like an onion, like it's layers, you know? So it's like, let's go to the first layer. That's all you can take. Let's just do that layer and sit with me, be with me because when you're ready, 
we can go to the next layer. And so there's something really sweet about that. And then when, as you're saying for everyday things, this becomes a a rhythm of your life. This becomes a rhythm of faith because life is a journey. And God is very clear that we're going to have tribulations and trials and difficult things. And what does it look like in that journey to be dependent on him, to recognize the provision in his presence right here. Uh, He has what I need to, it's okay to be scared. It's okay to be Elijah. (laughs) I can be a very great person of faith and turn on a dime and be terrified and scared. And there's not condemnation waiting for me there. There's an invitation waiting for me there to come to the entrance of the cave. Right. Um, And so there's just something so sweet. And, and like you said, I mean, the enemy's greatest tool is isolation. If he can pull you away and isolate you and just uh, feed you his one line, did God really say, did he really, you know, and sowing that doubt, um, then he's going to keep you in that perpetual place of, of unhealth and, and not of no wholeness, right? How is God um, moving through you now? It sounds like, you know, it's so powerful. And I think people also underestimate that when you receive healing from the Lord God, then it's never just about you, right? Yeah. God is a redeemer and he's a multiplier. And so yes. as you receive yeah. healing and wholeness from him, then you become an instrument of that, a vehicle of that to others. And so um, I think you've been doing that and then God's kind of opened that door for you. So what does that look like? Do you want like in my past or just like current right now? Uh, maybe a little bit of both, like maybe a little bit of the journey, because I think, you know, yeah. one of the things that I've been recognizing relationship with Jesus is dependent on my pastor, my favorite speaker, my favorite worship team, the program, the mission trip that my church has so that I can feel like I've done something. And we, we tend to abdicate our identity, our authority, our gifts. And so One of the things I'm very passionate about is people, just normal people who are never going to have a hundred thousand people on their Instagram account or be an author of the next greatest thing or a Christian influencer or celebrity. They're just a a son or a daughter who God's gifted, who is capable and equipped to bring the kingdom come and his will be done exactly where they are because no one can stand where you're standing no one is in your family in your place of business in your neighborhood in your circle of friends in your community and what does it look like when we receive healing and wholeness and gifting and anointing from the father and then we actually step into that we with him that invitation to partner with him that invitation to go hey let's go over here and love this person and so i think that journey matters because i I do think a lot of people feel well i'm not called to ministry you know i'm well i'm not i can't pray for people or i can't whatever the case may be yeah well what what a strategy of the enemy right yeah not get individuals actually being the church Yeah, it's good. So, um, I've actually never been on staff at a church. (laughs) Um, I've done a lot of healing ministry, prayer, one-on-one with people, um, where I've comforted them with the comfort that I have and the tools that I've been given and used on myself. And, um, 
been in Coffee Creek Correctional Facility, the only women's prison here in Oregon, um, with a team of about five of us, and um, did that for many years. Actually, just going back in this Sunday, as it would be for the first time in a really long time since I wow. think before COVID. Um, and I'll worship and preach. I was a little, not a little, I was a lot <laughs> <laughs> confused um, as to why kind of the church didn't want me. <laughs> mm. There wasn't a place for me. Yeah. And so sometimes when you're hitting up against a wall, you're just supposed to turn right. <laughs> yeah, right. And uh, my, my turn right was going into prison. I had an mm. open door there. I gave the, the inmates and the prisoners the best I had. Yeah, that's good. And I, I poured out um, onto them. And of course, God met me there in a beautiful, beautiful way. And, um, and that was really great. And then, um, and then I opened my home where I'm sitting right now. We, I dedicated a room to be a prayer room and would open my home to people from all kinds of different churches. Um, lots of work travel, traveling people. And we would take off our shoes and worship and pray and end up ministering. Some people would say nothing. Some people would pray and prophesy. So I really just did what was in my heart to do in the places that I could do it. You know, as yeah. most, most recently is the airline flight that I was on. I was reading a book and this gentleman comes and asks that the two seats next to me that are empty are open. And I remember thinking, Oh yeah, I was reading how to overcome evil in the last days, Rick Joyner. Cause I thought I needed to know something about witchcraft before I went to Mexico <laughs> mission, which is true. I had no idea yeah. how black magic it is. And, um, so that was super helpful. And I'm thinking I need to, I need to read this anyway, he sits down and of course his heart was so open and I could tell he wanted to talk and, you know, we have to be like sensitive enough to the Holy spirit that actually your agenda, which is super good is not what I'm doing right now. What I'm doing right now, <laughs> exactly. super good choice, Melissa, but not what I'm doing right now. What yeah, I'm doing right good. now is two seats over to the guy. <laughs> and, um, I just knew he wanted to talk and I lean over, you know, the table that's, you know, in the chair in between us, the little table that you bring down for your little cranberry juice or whatever. I just lean over. <laughs> I go, um, yeah, I started knocking on the back of it. And I said, Jesus is knocking at the door of your heart, but the doorknobs on the inside and only you can open it and let him in. <laughs> and that totally came from Scott McNamara, Jesus at the door, who has this tremendous, he's with, um, Kalinda, um, teaching evangelists all over the world. Um, so anointed. Um, I didn't have that card with me, but I had it anyway, before we took off, um, he was saying he was sorry for his sins, being convicted of his <laughs> guilt, asking Jesus to come in, asking the Holy spirit to fill him. By the time we were done, he had downloaded the new version app <laughs> and has a daily reminder on his phone. His name's Theo. Now, no staff position, no yeah, title. It's good. Um, just, I guess if we all could see ourselves with a little church steeple and a little cross above our head and that we actually are the church, right. um, then, yeah. you know, and then wherever God, I guess the encouragement that I have recently, actually that our mutual friend, Bruce, I don't remember how he said it. You know how he says things are like, yeah, wow. Yeah. yeah. 
I need 30 minutes to think on the way you just constructed that sentence. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, I can't do it justice. We'll have to get Bruce to, but it was base. He was basically challenging me to use what I have and what I've been given. Yeah, it's good. You know, basically, you know, the Lord, the word of God says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought have the right view of yourself. Yeah. And so one ditch is you think yourself too high and God resists the proud. One person you do not want resisting you would be God. And then, um, and then he gives grace to the humble. You know, we have a business in Northeast Portland. We have three acres of trailers. I sell trailers. I price them. I fill out warranties. It is not what I want to be doing, but I'm doing that work that's needed and necessary. And God bless us all. And God bless all the work of our hands and all the listeners right. who are listening yeah. prosper and have great success and great profit margins. But for me to take my authority there looks like they get a trailer. And then if the Holy spirit's prompting me, if I see pain, Hey, yeah. do you have pain in your shoulder? Yeah. Oh, I really do. And then they'll add that you, it's people will just spill it all out. And yeah, then you'll find good. out about their divorce and this, that, and the other. So I, ha- I can't count how many interactions because God has made us the owners I can, I can do whatever I want. Yeah. And, I want and these are people that probably would never set foot in a church on a Sunday. And Ever. I, and I, you know, it's Ever. interesting because I feel like, you know, especially the last, you know, several years, there's been a big, oh, you know, revival's coming, revival's coming, but we're defining revival in our kind of little Western evangelical construct of a stadium. It's really full with lights and everything. And, you know, either Bethel worship or Hillsong worship or mosaic. And it's gonna, this is what, um, you know, revival is going to look like, but no, I think revival is going to look like this. Revival is a conversation with a woman at the well and her being seen and her being known for the first time and then her being so overcome with encountering the presence of Jesus that she runs to her, her town and tells everyone you have to know you have to know the man who I just spoke with you have to meet this person you know and i think that i think revival is going to come differently but um it's going to require sons and daughters to yeah step in sons and daughters to trust who their God is, to trust who he says they are to take a risk. Right. Um, it's interesting because, um, that I've been so struck lately of the journey of the disciples, because we talk about God's presence and we actually define, I think a lot of people, you know, we, oh, I just want to sense God's presence. And we maybe think of like a really moving worship encounter or, you know, a prayer moment or whatever. And I was thinking about the disciples who were like in Jesus presence, presence, like flesh and blood presence for three years. You know, they walked with him. They talked with him. They watched him. They listened to him. They were coached by him, discipled by him, you know, all the things. And to see this journey they were on where they're watching him, they're watching him speak, they're seeing him heal, they're pondering uh, how he speaks and why he says this, and they're Mm -hmm. asking him questions. And then he sends out the 12, right? He says, go, uh, don't take a bag, you know, preach the gospel, heal and all that stuff. And then while the 12 are gone doing that, that's when uh, John the Baptist is beheaded, And they come back and they're debriefing their experience. So they're probably have all sorts of stuff swirling. Who knows how awesome or terrible 
and all of the things it probably was, right? And then they go into the first feeding of the 5,000 or 3,000, whatever the first one is. And it's so interesting to me because, you know, they're like, well, maybe we should send them away or should we go buy food? And Jesus is like, what do you have? And they bring the couple of fish and the loaf and then Jesus blesses it and says he divides it among them. And I think we have this preconceived idea that he blesses it and there's suddenly mounds of fish that they then pass out, but he, he takes this teeny lunch and he divides it among 12 men. So when you think of that, like it's, it's a little teeny, you know, their basket had a morsel in it and the kind of risk and almost foolishness they probably felt turning around and, you know, like if I'm John walking to the first group of 50 yeah. with my basket, with one thing, and maybe even the ridicule they got, maybe the, that's it. That's what you have for us or whatever. And that, yeah. that miracle required them to risk all of that, to risk looking foolish, to, you know, feel stupid or, you know, probably wondering how on earth is this going to happen? And that miracle unfolded person by person, you know, um, serving by serving until they still had leftovers when it was done, you know, and, um, just that process, I think we wait for some grand, you know, spiritual red carpet to be rolled out or this, you know, or, you know, like you were saying, like an invitation from like my pastor to recognize that I have a gift and they're going to, they're going to, from the platform say, so-and-so is going to start a ministry. But what if that invitation is uh, a little more subtle and maybe it's going to require some risk, maybe it's going to require feeling a little foolish and turning around with my little piece of bread and my little, you know, nose of the fish. (laughs) But when I step, he's going to meet me and then he's going to do those miraculous things. So that's awesome. Uh, If, if everyone listening could explore the possibility, be still with Jesus and maybe ask him what he's inviting you to and asking him how the things that you've been healed from and delivered from and the things he's done in your life could transform into loaves and fishes for others. Yes. And, and, and yes, so great. I mean, that scripture that you're bringing up, Gina, that's exactly how I felt when I went to prison for the first time, Mm -hmm. because I didn't really know how to play the piano that great. Mm -hmm. And I literally, that was the scripture He's like, well, give me what you got. Do you have like a C chord or a G chord or an F chord? Can you do that? I'm like, yeah, I can do that. So good. And so you know, it does take courage to obey and yeah, faith to obey. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the other thought that came to me, I was, for some reason, the Lord is just impressing upon me. There are those listening who have, um, work that they're doing that they struggle with feeling like it's insignificant. Mm, and I just feel as if the Lord wants to remind, remind us me as well. <laughs> Don't despise the day of small beginnings. Yeah, and good. those who are faithful with a little, he'll, you'll be faithful. You'll be given a lot, faithful with a lot. Yeah. And so I just bless you to see your significance in yeah. doing your job well and loving well, loving the person in front of you well. Um, because I, one of the things I just want to say, it struck me just literally yesterday afternoon at work. Um, I overhear my husband talking to a gentleman that had um, just been hired. He um, from a um, a rehab center, um, a rehab home. Mm. And, and I heard him offering to pay for 
some, some education, some Mm -hmm. college. And, you know, my husband didn't talk to me about it. He didn't say anything. That's a good idea or whatever. And I thought, now that's church. Yeah. Number one, he's giving a guy a second chance Hmm. who's had addiction with alcohol problems. He's offering to better his life if he wants it. I mean, that's, that's a deep reach in one person's life. Who's a mechanic. Yeah, that's good. (laughs) And so I just want to say, you know, in your work, don't think that your reach isn't deep Yeah, it's and it's not significant because I believe it is like you said, Gina, those people out there in your workplace marketplace, there are people who will never come to church, but wow, they get a touch of maybe a little bit of faith or hope or love. It's not yours. It's just coming from the Holy spirit. You're just a vessel. Yeah. Um, so I just, I want people to see that they are carrying that and to have their head held up high. Melissa, this has been a total blast. (laughs) Thank you for, yeah. Thanks for taking the time and thank you for um, just sharing your journey and just God bless you for all that you're doing and the things that God is entrusting to you. And I pray that you would um, just have wisdom and confidence as you steward those things and that you get to just sit and, you know, it's such a, I think the best part is really, you know, the bottom line is we just get a front row seat to watch God do his thing, you know, to watch him uh, meet people and bring healing and do all of those things. And to see that is, is overwhelming. It's powerful. It's humbling. It's all the things. So thank you and God bless you. And uh, yeah, appreciate you taking the time. Well, before we go, I want to take a moment to pause. There's a lot in this episode, and I would think potentially a lot of things bubbled up. Do you have areas in your life that you have not allowed yourself to grieve? Maybe you were brought up in a Christian home. Maybe you've gone to church your whole life. But you were raised in an environment that said that your emotions were bad, they're not to be trusted, and so whatever you've experienced, you've stuffed, and you've never known Jesus to be a safe place to bring your pain. And maybe you've been in a situation where the place that should be safe church, your pastor, your friends at church, or your leaders ended up not being safe. Or like Melissa shared, reading that psalm that she read at her mom's bedside after her mom passed was painful and uh, almost offensive. Jesus is the safest place to bring all of your pain all of your emotions all of your grief and I love Melissa's invitation to write it all out what are the things that are not that should have been 
and bringing that to him. And so I want to encourage you in this moment to just pause. Be still before the Lord. Be honest with him and yourself and bring those areas to him. And know that as you heal, as those areas start to be redeemed, you will become a conduit of God's healing presence to others. That as you receive from Him, freely you receive, freely give. And wherever you are, if you're a stay-at-home mom, if you have a corporate job, if you're in school, whatever your role is, whatever your occupation, the things that you do, the places that you are planted, all of those could be places that the Lord uses you. All of those could be places that the Lord brings His healing presence and peace. So, Father, I thank you that you are a redeemer. I thank you that the depth of your love and your kindness bring wholeness and healing to places that feel lost. And, Lord, I pray for every person listening that they would feel your tangible presence, they would hear your voice, and receive your invitation to come close. Thank you that you're safe. Move mightily. And we ask all this in your name. Amen. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Sacred Space Podcast. If you would like more information about Melissa, her incredible ministry, her resources, she has an amazing YouTube channel with teachings and uh, I just really want to encourage you to reach out. There are links in the episode notes, or you can search her, Melissa Shimento, on YouTube um, and check her out. Go avail yourself of all the amazing resources and ministry that God's doing in and through her. If you would like more information about me, Gina Stockton, or Stockton Ministries, you can visit us at ginastockton.com. And if you want to make a tax-deductible donation to support the production of this podcast and other projects by Stockton Ministries, you can go to ginastockton.com slash donate or click the donate button in the episode notes. I hope you have an amazing day that you know that you are seen, that you are known, and you are loved. And we'll see you next time in the sacred space.